The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is partnered with Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy with Red Energy. What do we say? Don't, Don't shoot, shoot the, the messenger. messenger. Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 297 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. We are here again, me, Caroline Wilson, and you, Corrie Perkin. Hey, Corrie. Hey, Caro. Looking lovely in um, gingham today. A little gingham outfit. I think gingham Pink is, gingham. I think gingham's a bit 2021, but look, I'm hanging on to it. No, this is some, our friend Emma Strauss, who has Mandalay Design. It's a beautiful dress. I've this never seen one that her, one. But look at the arms. Aren't they beautiful? I know. We might have to, um might have to take a photograph of myself in this beautiful dress. Which you, with a bit of braid in the end. I don't think gingham ever goes out. We have plenty to talk about today. Corrie has a kick-ass new salad and she's seen a fabulous doco on Netflix. I am going to review a book that I think was wonderful, but controversially not everyone agrees with me. And it, we've talked about it before on the show, but we haven't reviewed it yet. So that is all coming up in BSF. What caught my eye will be something I'll be dealing with. And Corrie, we've got some wonderful feedback before we move on to the topic of the day. I think our new, I think our new segment's called "Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see this? Did you see this or that? This? Did you see we better, this? We better christen it. What did you say? What caught my eye? Which we, as we reminded ourselves <laughs> last week is a segment on the Sunday Footy Show, which I doubt you've ever seen, Corrie. That's so <laughs> rude. It's one of my favourite. That and the front bar are the two. Oh, and um, oh. I always love Monday night. With, it hurtful. Um, I'm in bed for yours. You know that. I told you that a million times. But before I go to bed on a Monday night, I do love also listening to Robbo and Jared on their um, 7.30 to 8 o'clock football show on Foxtel. It's called AFL 360. That's it. In fact, we've we've got a bit to say about football shows later on, or at least I do. Um, Corrie, Mary O'Donoghue's been in touch. Dear... Well, thanks, Corrie and Caro. I thoroughly enjoyed you today. That was probably our first podcast for the year last week, Ep 296. She had watched our selected movies and series and loved them too. She has a recommendation for us, Corrie. Good Grief. I haven't heard of this. I haven't heard of it either. A A movie movie. by Daniel Levy, Levy from Schitt's Creek. It's funny, sad and so easy to watch. Daniel is so authentic. And Mary, thank you. You're wishing us all the best for the rest of the year. Um, Wade Kinsley, friend of the pod. G'day, Wade. Wade says, hi, Carol and Corey. Great to hear you back on the airwaves again. Suze and I have been just finished watching Maryland on Britbox. It's a three-part drama that we think you'll like for BSF. Have you seen this, Carol? No. Maryland? Won't give too much away, but it stars and was co-created by Serana Jones of Smith and Bailey and also Vigil. And oh, we love ha- Vigil. Highly recommends it. And he says, see you at yoga or will I, Caro? That was one <laughs> of your point. summer intentions. Good point. <laughs> um, thank you it. to Terry Johnson, Kate Chalk, Doreen Fernie, of course, Angelique too, Sam Thompson. Lovely to hear from Sam, you, Sam. Sam said, love your new producer, Harriet and Dad, Joel. Somebody said, oh, was that my granddaughter, Harriet? No, that was Joel's daughter. And um, But Harriet is so gorgeous, according, so gorgeous. according to others, which we knew. So I gorgeous. knew that. Gillian uh, Riley, thank you. She's thrilled to have us back. Um, a couple of people have emailed in, Corrie, regarding tickets to our 300th, which is going to be at Bell's Hotel, 5.30 for 6 o'clock on Thursday, the 29th of February. That will be a live podcast with Brad Scott as our special guest, along with Anna from the Op Shop and a few other favourites. So um, they've emailed in regarding tickets. We're sorting it for you all. Do not worry. We're thrilled so many of you have climbed on board and we are so looking forward to seeing you. Corrie, as we sit here and talk today to time code this conversation, we all woke up to the news that King Charles does have cancer. It doesn't seem to be related necessarily to the enlarged prostate that was reported a few weeks ago, back in early to mid-January. And this is, um, look, it, I, I mean, there are two things that immediately spring to mind for me, and it's ridiculous and it sounds shallow. And the third thing, of course, <laughs> is what, well... Sorry to laugh. I'll be Sorry sensible. Sorry to laugh. I'm just... I'm, I'm just appalled and saddened by this news and then I'm just wondering how the, how we can 
how we can be shallow. Well, my 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 serious and obvious take is what a great role model he will be if he gets through this is he is confident he will to all men to get their prostate looked at. Yes, absolutely. Because obviously, you know, the fact that that was looked at in the first place is where they detected this other issue. That's a the sensible and obvious take. The shallow take is, you know, he's only not even two years into the job and he's been, he's been waiting to do this job for so long and this has happened. Third, I, I do, just on that point, I do feel like we've been saying for probably the last 30 years, oh, poor Charles, when's he going to get it? And then finally. And he's, he's stopped dead and in now his tracks. He's, and now he's he's although be, he was out and about on the weekend, he went to church. He'll be, but he'll be obviously undergoing cancer treatment and, you know, you don't wish this on anyone. Um, but the other really shallow take is surely he and Harry will reconcile now. And well, Harry, Harry, we hear, is on his way over as we speak exactly. to see I'm, his I'm father. Reading, I'm reading bbc.co.uk as we're talking. Duke of Sussex, who lives in the United States, has spoken to his father and will be travelling to, to the UK in the next couple of days. The King returned to London from Sandringham. Um, and this treatment is going to begin. He will be an outpatient, so don't send your flowers to the local hospital. Send it to Buckingham Palace. That's where he'll be. And um, it is understood his weekly audiences with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will continue and will well be in person. Well done. Is that a first? <laughs> is that a first? It's taken Prince Charles's positive, King Charles's positive diagnosis for you to finally get the British PM right. Now, Corrie, have you been watching Nemesis? I, I, well, I missed the first episode, Caro, but was glued to it last night. Take us through the, the first episode, which was, I think, Tony Abbott, or the whole premise of it is actually great. Well, this is a story of um, the leadership turmoil that happened in the Liberal Party, in, in the coalition, beginning with Tony Abbott as Prime Minister, leading to the Malcolm, Malcolm Turnbull coup, leading to the Scott Morrison coup. So episode one was Tony Abbott. Tony Abbott is the only one who's refused to cooperate with the documentary. It is a brilliant documentary. Tony Abbott. Tony Abbott's refused to refused. be part of it. Yep. So he won't be interviewed. And apparently he's, according to the ABC, the first Australian Prime Minister in however long a time who has refused to be interviewed by the ABC. But Malcolm turned... So the first episode, and they they do this thing and they've done it all the way through. And next week, I guess, will be Scott Morrison, although I think you can catch the whole thing on iView if you want, is that the interviewer who is doing a brilliant job asks all, the, all these politicians from the Liberal um, National Party Coalition one to describe their leader in one word. Mm, I love that. And... and the, that with Tony Abbott last week, it was extraordinary, although largely complimentary. But um, but what was the what was the and 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 it was common, all what was the common word or common tone? Oh, you know, driven, um, integrity. There was there was mainly positive words about Tony Abbott. Not everyone obviously was positive, and you know, you you work out the factions and the loyalties and the little coups and the clans and the cartels, you know, as it goes along. It is extraordinary, some of the stuff that went on. And, you know, I had forgotten, for example, the bonk ban that we found out about it that was in um, the episode on Monday, February 5, which was just fascinating. But what about Malcolm Turnbull's one word, word for Peter Dutton? Thug. Thug. And, and Scott Morrison, duplicitous. Duplicitous. And Scott Morrison and Malcolm Turnbull's versions of ev pretty much every event through the whole doco, both in week one, which was at the end of January, January 29, to the Feb 5, they just, they don't agree on anything. No, that's not the way it happened. That's not the way it happened. I mean, it, it is an extraordinary story. Well, I'm going to drill down in, in BSF a bit into the whole documentary, the idea of documentaries. And why do we love them? Because real people are telling their version of events and we must remember it's their version. Unless they're, unless they're um, in, in, in a case like this, in a political documentary where they 
are impartial. We believe they're impartial. Sometimes a journalist can fill that role. There haven't been any journalists as far as I've seen or I saw last night who have been interviewed. But unless there's the impartial observer, this is an opportunity for the people involved, the key players, to give their view of what happened. What is interesting is the people who are missing from this documentary. You mentioned Tony Abbott, but also Matthias Corman who is now head of the OECD, clearly, clearly is distancing himself from that really, um, I guess you could say, blood on his hands moment when he was part of a coup to oust Malcolm Turnbull. Um, Peter Dutton has declined and uh, and Julie Bishop as well, who was the foreign minister under both Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull. And I'd forgotten, you know, how poorly he did in that three-way leadership ballot. And how popular she was. Do you remember there was a, do you remember in one of our podcasts, it must have been our early ones, 2017, 2018, there was a front page photograph of Julie Bishop stepping out of a ministerial car and- In the um, red shoes. Yes, in the red shoes with the, with her fabulous long legs or something. And I made a I mean, not disparaging, I suppose it was a cheeky, you know, yes, it was a cheeky comment about that, but also- more particularly for me, looking at why the why the Murdoch media decided to put it on their front page, like she was a pinup girl, sexist. But anyway, and remember the um, the correspondence we received, from, particularly from WA listeners to the podcast, who said, "Hands off our Julie." I then realised uh, how I, I mean that was a that was a trigger point for understanding her real um, allure, I guess, or her charisma with the Australian electorate. So many people thought she was terrific. And yet the party was just so hell-bent on the boys in the sandpit trying well, to grab the toys and grab the power. A couple that they of them just described it as a massacre. Oh, and, unbelievable. And and one of her, her South Australian um, colleagues and friends just convincing everyone, everyone to vote against her because he couldn't win. And, and, and Turnbull admitting that by, when he realised he was finished – it was all about not letting Dutton get it, in a, you know, anyone but Dutton type thing. Whatever a, he could do. ABD. But, but the, the, looking back at, you know, Malcolm Turnbull's prime ministership, and um, I was talking to my father about it because he has a great friend, Peter Nixon, who, of course, is a towering figure in former the coalition. Former minister, yeah. Yep. And um, National Party, former AFL commissioner, always very good at calling it. I mean, he called um, the uh, Bill Shorten loss to Scott Morrison – a month earlier when everyone thought Shorten was going to win. He, I think he might have said, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, that he didn't think Malcolm Turnbull was going to prove a good leader. And obviously Malcolm Turnbull coming into politics so late and having been so successful in the corporate world and the legal world, he just didn't really understand politics, did he? And look, he clearly was an egomaniac, had some great wins. You know, China was was one. He stood up to China. He stood up to Trump. Gay he, marriage. The the marriage equality was a big one, although interesting how um, he took the credit at the end when others said he'd been a bit nervous about wasn't it. wasn't that interesting. And he did pay credit to, and they, the, the doco did too, to Julie Bishop and what a great foreign minister he had. But, you know, how he dogged it on climate change in the end. Um, it became all about him, how he was even prepared to call an election to hold on to power in the end, how he just didn't really understand. He was not a good politician in the, you know, absolute mm. essence of the he did, word. He didn't play the numbers. He didn't play the room. No. And, and for me, this um, this series, Caro, is a is a real example of um, the, the, the rise and rise of the individual in politics, which, I mean, you could argue this has been around since democracy was invented, but... I think particularly the kind of Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, that era that we saw in 2015, 2016, it was happening through Europe, populist politicians who are really out for themselves rather than the party and what the party's true beliefs are. And also losing their their core, you know, losing, in the case of the Labor Party, losing the working class. Um, In the case of the the conservative forces, losing the smaller liberals to Greens and so on. So, so it's been about the power of the personality. And for Tony Abbott, he didn't have the right personality because it was really all about Tony. And Malcolm Turnbull, although charismatic um, in another world, in another sphere, wasn't necessarily a team player and probably, I think, never really achieved his true potential. And that was probably his fault more than anybody else's. 
And then Scott Morrison, who is shrewd and dumb at the same time, oh. <laughs> like incredibly shrewd. But he also, as we know, he lacks a bit of emotional intelligence, Scott Morrison. That would be probably, for me, his, his greatest um, weakness as a, as a leader. But it was all about him as well. I mean, what happened to doing it for the party? What about Barnaby Joyce? I mean, it, Barnaby Joyce had had a when point. Malcolm threw him under the bus with the yes. with the bonk band. God, and, and that was he, a great moment in that. He sort of, you know, described himself. He was deputy PM. He was head of the Nationals, but he was also Malcolm's protector. He was his sort of bodyguard. He was the doorman who um, kept him informed of who was, you know. Foster, you know, Did you realise he was such a spy in the ranks? I know. I mean, he, who, who was plotting against him? He was. He did this, he did that. So when Malcolm turned on him, that was for Malcolm Turnbull, I guess, partly the beginning of the end. Um, and, and Barnaby Joyce's whole thing was, you know, yes, I was having an affair. Well, he didn't sort of say this, but clearly he was having an affair with a member of his staff. He ended up carrying his child. His marriage broke up. Um, Malcolm Turnbull changed the rules. As a result, he did throw him under the bus verbally and, and publicly, very much so, and he, he felt he had to do that. I think Malcolm Turnbull said, maybe I did overdo it, and then he watched back to his press conference. Yeah. He said, no, <laughs> having a look, no, that I'm was pretty interesting. right. I mean, they do a bit of that in real time, don't they, as but, we're watching yes. them watching themselves of five years ago. That was so interesting. And That's shaking their heads yeah. at others. But, yeah. the, but Barnaby Joyce, who clearly had a point in saying, look, everyone was doing it, and how ridiculous and how did it affect my ability to do my job? That Clearly, every a lot of people were doing it. But Barnaby, are you serious? You know, you the, the power imbalance for, a very, for just one thing, you know, the, the look of the whole thing, to impregnate a staffer who is so much junior to you when you are, mm. you know, on paper anyway, still married. And, oh, and Deputy Prime Minister. And Deputy Prime Minister. I mean, it was extraordinary. But, but also I had sympathy for Barnaby because Malcolm Turnbull went in so hard in the press conference, naming him, naming Barnaby's wife, naming Vicky, the partner. Um, it was an appalling breach of, um, you know, where, where politics become like real, your personal life, we always say, shouldn't be part of the political arena. But the, the Prime Minister brought it into the arena. It wasn't the leader of the opposition or anybody else. Caro, people may be thinking, oh, you know, it's just you and I bashing the Liberal Party again. Not so, not so. Can I just say that one of the best things to watch on television, if you haven't seen it, was Sarah Ferguson's 2015 documentary, three-part documentary series called The Killing Season, which was about the Rudd-Gillard governments. Now, Which that, was equally fascinating oh, and appalling. Once again, politicians behaving badly. But that series is outstanding and you can still see it on iView. And the, the way the, the Labor Party flipped and flopped and once again the ambition just ruthless ambition of Kevin Rudd once he'd been ousted to try and get that chair back, the Prime Minister's chair, without a regard for the next election or the impact of that. Um, they're all behaving badly, really. <laughs> but it was all about getting the, the, the score settling. I mean, Barnaby Joyce made it his life's work to destroy Turnbull. Um, Tony Abbott made it his life's work to destroy Turnbull. Christopher Pine, I mean, you just weren't sure where he was going. But I do like Christopher Pine. Well, yes, but Julie Bishop was one of his closest friends and he's ringing around oh, no. saying you can't vote for her. Oh, no, I mean, so terrible. Uh, look, Carol, I think it's a great doco. I hope everybody's watching it. If they haven't seen it, do as I will do. I'm going back to watch the first episode on iView, ABC iView. And I would just like to, if I was called upon, I would like to give the new ABC chair, Kim Williams, a little bit of advice about how to run the national broadcaster. Oh, I'm sure Kim will be all ears. I'm sure. Take note of this, Kim. You have a very thin budget. We all acknowledge that. And and really, unless there's some sort of overhaul of the Australian political system, I can't see that the ABC is going to suddenly find itself flush with funds. And so I think you should do do what you do best, stick to your knitting, and that is invest in your news department and your journalists, invest in programs like this amazing documentary series, because these are documents of record, Caro. They're documents of extraordinary historical, political and social importance. And also, Kim Williams, could you please invest in your children's shows, local content, bluey, great, but, you know, 
um, Bluey will soon be on the wane because that's what happens in the world. So, you know, <laughs> who are the new Bluey creators and invest in young talent who do that sort of thing. And then turn all of this content that you've made, these documentaries and these these wonderful shows like um, The Party Room, which is Pat's Carvelis and um, Fran Kelly and all that sort of stuff and put it on podcasts so we can all then um, dip into it so we can access the ABC. And I know this is a successful arm of ABC business. And, um, and, and put stuff like your, ch- your children's shows on ABC iView Kids so our kids can watch it. And don't worry about the other stuff. You can't be all things to all people if you're the ABC. You can't, you can't be covering the whole plethora of the entertainment industry. Just stick to your knitting, Kim. That's what I'd be saying. And save our ABC. He's a very good bridge player, Kim Williams. Oh, is he going to Congress? <laughs> he might be a bit busy. Although you could argue that I should be as well. But um, I'm sorry. No, on the eve of the football season, one of Australia's, well, Australia's leading female. Just a female part-timer female. now, Corrie. Just <laughs> a part-timer. And she's off to Bridge Congress for the week. Three days. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Oh, there'll be a big story. Come Something on. Something will happen. There'll be a footballer who's thrown in jail for bad behaviour or a coach who's sacked on the eve of the start. Of it. Something will happen. I'm planning my outfit for the fashion parade where all the bridge players dress up. <laughs> Have I ever sent you the photographs? You did. Oh, dear me. Don't, don't. Um, no, I'm not doing the fashion parade. Don't take parade. them public. Uh, what, tell me what your outfit's going to be. Is oh, there no, a theme? I'm, I'm not doing it. We've... We've had to move up from novice to restricted this year. So oh, Debbie told me that. She said be, that you were in her division now. Could be carnage. Could oh. be carnage. Corrie, I think we need a drink. Search princewinestore.com.au, bringing Melburnians the greatest one in the world. Miles Thompson, yet again, is joining us for, for the yet cocktail again. cabinet. <laughs> As always, for the cocktail cabinet, Miles, of course, comes to us from Prince Wine Store. Remember... If you want to buy some of the wonderful wines Miles recommends, or in fact anything from Prince Wine Store, princewinestore.com.au. And for our special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount, the promo code is M-E-S-S. That's short for mess. Miles is here to talk Valentine's Day. Welcome, Miles. And we're a few days early, but I think people need to start planning now. If their Valentine's Day for some people has become a big event... And I guess the the general topic is um, romantic drinking. Could I just say mm. another American affectation? Like I Halloween. know. Well, it's did not we really... ever did we ever celebrate Valentine's Day when we were young? You know, when I really got into Valentine's Day it was in the eighties when I was living in the UK. It is huge in London, huge across the UK. It's not just America. Why do you need a day to tell somebody that you love them? Well, Corrie, that's like saying don't have Mother's Day. Now, come on. Oh, no, don't take that away. Well, I love my annual electric booties. Well, why do you need to – what are electric booties? You mean – What are they? Electric booties? Have you never had a pair? You stick your feet in and you turn them on like an electric blanket. My wife would love that. Oh. I thought you meant you were given – I thought you meant you were given – Valentine's Day Day gift. (laughs) I thought you meant you were given an appliance every Mother's Day. No, no. Well, well, like different things, but electric booties, way to go. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. I'd like an appliance. I'm not allowed to have any more appliances. Aren't you? No. Oh, I got a couple <laughs> of great new gardening uh, ones no the other day. Is your anyway. kitchen bench oh. full of appliances? Actually not. We're pretty good, I have to admit. The biggest one we got and we got given to us was a slow cooker, which I don't use as much as I should or could. My but father swears by his slow cooker. Oh, they're very good. And yeah. I, I know a few people... Um, who my friend Leonie Swan, mm. whose husband Greg actually runs the Brisbane Lions, she makes stuff. She, she just goes off in the morning yeah. at 8 or 9 o'clock, comes home at 6 o'clock at night and there's a beautiful dinner yeah. on the stove. It's I mean, that's the, the whole idea, that isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Miles, what are we drinking on Valentine's Day if, in fact, we do have a loved one or even if we don't? I kind of I went classic sort of stuff. And I've sort of talked about some of – I've talked about the producers before, but it's it's new vintages and new wines from them. Good. Uh, first one is Domaine Chansey, which is a, a Burgundy producer based out of Polini, Polini Montrachet. I talked about their Aligoté a little while ago. So is it the, the first one's French, obviously. French, yeah. And it's their, it's their Bourgogne Le Fortune's Chardonnay. Um, I love your accent. Yeah. I just put it on every now and then. <laughs> I actually try not to because what's the point? I'm, 
I'm probably going to get it wrong. I'm, so. I'm a bit the same, yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's just uh, from the 2020, 2022 vintage was a little bit warmer. So it's got this lovely kind of lush kind of, you know, peach and these kind of like yellow sort of tree fruits, but this lovely sort of twang of sort of minerality that keeps it really nice and fresh, this little kind of like white pepper sort of sort of French oak kind of weave through. It's a really, really lovely wine. So it's got a bit of richness, but it's got a bit of kind of tension and freshness as well from that minerality that you get from the sort of great Chardonnays out of um, out of Burgundy. It sounds perfect with a nectarine tart. Yeah, well, probably be a bit nectarine bit tart too, too sweet. sweet. So it'll, it'll knock all the fruit out of the wine. Yeah. So what would you have it with? Well, I think you could have it with seafood, chicken. You know, you could roast chicken would be great, but you could have it with seafood dishes. You could That's have so it interesting st- you say stuff that with a little a bit of creamy. It, it's got enough to have a, a to go get some kind of dishes with cre- like creamy sort of sauces and things like that. It's got so enough d- richness. So what you're saying is too much fruit. The fruit competes. So for for sweet stuff, if there's sugar in it, that it'll it's a perception thing. It'll knock the the sweet of the food. It'll make your wine taste dry and fruitless because that sugar knocks the fruit flavor out of the wine. So it's, it's, over, it's a warm palate. night. Yeah, out of your palate. It's a perception thing. It doesn't yeah, do it. It's just a perception yeah, thing. So when you, your mind when you, plays the trick. Yeah, your, your wine mind says, goes, I'm oh, having okay. sugar from here. Here's all this fruit sweetness out of this tart. And then I try this wine and it's gross and dry and it doesn't taste like all I can get is I don't get the fruit parts. I get all the How acid and the. But, but yeah, if Carol and I opened that that bottle, mm-hmm. if we were playing Scrabble mm-hmm. before dinner, we would be able to taste the fruit. Is that and what taste your? The... Is that how we're going to spend? Yeah, well, that's right. Oh, it's a beautiful wine. It's so good. Oh, why not? Come on, I think you're my Cor- best girl. We may as well. <clears throat> just, you, you, know. you and Pete are sitting on your deck, or Brendan and I are sitting on uh, front, you know, terracey bit. We've got a, a bucket of prawns, um, maybe oh, cook, cooked up some flathead. And oh, a flathead nice, would be perfect. Nice green salad. Yeah, and we open a bottle on. of La Fort, Fort Yeah, King? so Chansey La Fortune. Chansey. Yeah, Burgon Chardonnay. Chansey La Fortune. Burgon Chardonnay, yep. 2022. Yep. How much will we be paying so for this? that's 55. Okay. Because this is Valentine's Day. We're, oh, no, that's right. We're splashing and, out. And there is I an M E double S discount. No, don't go cheap. We want no, no, cheap. No, out. Cheap. Out. I mean, good value. Too. Don't mean cheap. I mean, good value. Good value. Exactly. I'm um, 55 is okay. So what's the next one? And the next one is the Adarangi Crimson. I've talked about the, I think I've talked about the Crimson before. So Adarangi is a, a, just a superstar Martin Borough producer in New Zealand. Um, Helen Masters is the winemaker there. She's an absolute legend. And she's a phenomenal winemaker. Where are we here again? Sorry, so I'm just Martin in... Borough. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Otago has those big, kind of juicy, fleshy, ripe sort of style. This is a general sort of thing. Uh, Pinots. And Martin Borough tends to be a little bit more savoury and structured. Um, and this is the second wine from Adarangi. They have the Estate, which is their top wine. And this has been their second wine, but the the last sort of five, six, seven years, it just keeps getting closer and closer in quality to the the Adarangi. Um, lovely kind of like red cherry fruit and kind of dark plum. And it's got these beautiful kind of roasted savory spice, this lovely kind of like Yum. fennel seed. And is this near my friend Sam Neal's? No, so estate? he's a Targo and this is, this is Martinborough. So okay. a little bit different. Okay. And it has lovely sort of fine We need to visit Martinborough. That sounds it's beautiful. We need to visit Sam. I went on a tour there years ago with, with the importer and the, what you do when you get to Adarangi is they put on lunch and they've got this beautiful, huge yard. Huge long table under the trees, massive lunch. Everyone plays cricket. It's, it's really fantastic. Oh. So I probably have a little bit of a. It, they are you amazing. You have a soft spot. You're I partial. I You're partial because you had a nice time. I am, but these wines are really sort of superstar wines out of New Zealand. So, and this is just this wine just keeps getting better and better. And it's forty five dollars. Adarangi for the Adarangi, Adarangi Crimson. Crimson. Yeah. Oh, Miles, they it are two so good. fabulous. And how much is that? Yeah, really did you classic say? sort of stuff, but but. 45? 45. 45. Thank you. I'm making yeah. notes here. So I, I think, I think they're, they're special um, wines for any time. But yeah, February absolutely. 14, why not? Some absolutely. of us have birthdays in March, so that's also another opportunity to have one of those wines. Oh, Just definitely. saying. A little bit cooler. They'll be perfect. Maybe their Scrabble friend might like to buy them a bottle for their birthday. <laughs> Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. We'll see. I'm spending Valentine's Day with you. I'm buying you $50 wines for your birthday. I played golf the other day with a gentleman. He joined our pair, our duo, um, and he just joined in. And on the 18th, he told us that he was 80. Now, he was in a cart, but he was just so incredibly sprightly and wonderful. 
And when we were talking about age, he said, it, it just, it, it's just so irrelevant once you hit 50. And, you know, I've been thinking about that. Driving home from the golf mm. club, I thought, that's actually right. I sort of hit 50 and didn't kind of worry about it anymore. Although, interestingly, hit- our friend Anna from the op shop had a birthday this week and she told me that she felt as flat as a tack about that particular number that she was churning. Yes, there's a thing when you no longer in your early 60s. Well, I did say, when I'm 64, which probably didn't help with me singing that. I think I got to 40 and I stopped really caring. Oh, Miles, you're not 40. I'm 46. I am... I'm 46 I, I was this year, talking, I'm 46 in about a Oh my goodness, you look about 24. Oh, I was I'm talking lucky. to a friend of mine the, the other day and he turns <laughs> a big number. He turns 80 this year and he's planning to have a party and he's he said, look, I've hired, a, I've got a bit of a party planner helping me, but I, I put one caveat on the um, party planner. I, I'm not going to pay you if I die. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what the, the party planner said? No, 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 no. I'll be running the wake. So either uh, way, <laughs> nice. So I said, so win-win for me. I get to go to a party either way. Regardless. No, Carol, exactly. that's mean and awful. That's Don't perfect. say that. Something will happen now. Can you imagine? Gods, we didn't mean it. She the, didn't mean it. I was only the, joking. You got to drink the booze from the party. Can you right? imagine the gall of the party planner? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, a friend of um, ours, he wasn't a friend of ours, Corey, but someone we know died recently. He wasn't a friend of mine, but he was a friend of my husband's, and um. He he just put on a lunch for everyone at oh, the Stokehouse. Nice. Oh, I think there was like a hundred people. Wow! And um, they all and and he left money in his will to pay for all his friends. That's to, so lovely. That's my mum. My mum said that, but it just seemed wrong. You know, after she died in that week afterwards, it just seemed wrong to have a party. I don't know. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? But I suppose if they stipulate it, I'd rather that. I'd rather yeah. That sounds like a my, my a parents great idea. had a, a great friend called Harry Yulden, and he he was a photographer, and he was a bit of a reprobate and a bit of a Rennie Ellis type. It, yeah, yes, interesting, very very interesting man, lovely man, and he you know died. Um, I think oh, I guess it was the nineties, and he'd always sort of stayed with people. He'd always you know been at our house for lunch and barbecues. I never remembered him hosting anything in his life. Ever. A bit of a bot, Harry the bot. <laughs> well, so I think he was known as Harry the Hat, actually, and he always wore a hat. Anyway, he um, put on a shindig at the, um, what's that pub in Richmond in um, Swan Street? Been there forever. Uh, builders, uh, uh, no, anyway. Build, uh, no, Builders Arms isn't good. Build, no. yeah. Anyway, I'll think of it. He put on a big, um, in a beer garden in Richmond, basically. Yeah, he didn't P- put Prince it on. Alfred Hotel. Oh, he yeah, didn't put yeah, it on. Yeah. He did. He left money in his oh, will. Oh, okay. So we so all, everybody finally. Executors put it on. <laughs> everybody finally, you know, got to, you know, enjoy his largesse yeah, there you go. in his death. And I thought, what a pity he didn't do it when he was alive. But it was actually a really fun afternoon, oh, Prince Alfred great. Hotel. It I was, think that's great. It's a good idea, I'm I think. All for it. Well, I guess when people die, they have a wake. But how much nicer not even to bother with the funeral? Yeah. Well, that's probably what mum would have said, I guess. Oh, maybe you should have done that. I know. Oh, well. It's a bit late one. now. But your mum did entertain and host, and she was generous. So, I mean, not that Harry wasn't, but anyway, it's just a lovely idea. How funny. Miles, we will repeat those wonderful wines. We've got the Adirangi Crimson, Adirangi which Crimson is um, $45 and maybe a bit less with and the MEWS promo code. Absolutely. And from Domaine Chansey. Yep. And that is the Le Fortunes, and it's the Bourgogne Blanc Chardonnay. Fabulous. Lovely to see you again. You Thanks, too. Miles. Get down week. to Prince Wine Store, everyone. Move with Red Energy and they'll cover your standard connection fees. Eligibility criteria and conditions apply. BSF. Book screen food. Corrie, it is now time for BSF. That is book screen and food brought to us by Red Energy. Now, I am going to kick us off. I'm looking forward to hearing about your salad, which of course is going to be um, brought to us by Cobram Estate, which sells us that beautiful premium Australian extra virgin olive oil. But I'm going to talk about Lola in the Mirror by Trent Dalton. I mentioned it at the end of last year, saying how much I was looking forward to reading it. You know I'm a massive Trent Dalton fan. We're going to be discussing this book at our book club this week, which I'm really looking forward to because I don't think everyone agrees with me. I just adored this book. Um, I know there have been some negative reviews. I mean, some reviews have said 
he has cemented himself, Trent Dalton, with this book as one of Australia's foremost authors and really cemented himself on the international scene. Um, it goes back to the, under, unlike under our shimmering sky, All Our Shimmering Skies or whatever the second novel was called, which is set sort of more in the 1940s and set in Darwin, what starts in Darwin. This is back to your seedy underclass of Boy Brisbane. Swallows Universe, yes. I think. Um, the main All Our Shimmering Skies. All Our Shimmering Skies, which is um, a wonderful book as well. But anyway, look, this is, um, again, a book with a touch of fantasy. Um, I think um, Boy Swallows Universe had the red telephone, which heavily symbolised um, the main character's relationship with his brother, Eli's relationship with his brother. This has Lola in the mirror. Lola is a character who appears to the heroine of the story, who is a 17-year-old homeless girl living with her mother in a metal scrapyard in a car. She's been living there. She's been on the lam basically with her mother for many, many years. They've lived all around. Um, they've been on the north coast of New South Wales. They've been further up in Queensland. Now they're back in Brisbane. They've been on the other side of Australia. Now they're back in this scrapyard. And the cast of characters Trent Dalton puts around them, I think are absolutely wonderful. Some of the reviews are very scathing about almost romanticising the homeless life and dangerously romanticising some of the elements that happen in this book. You, you work out pretty quickly. Every chapter begins with a work of art by the heroine because she wants to be an artist. She dreams of having a show at the Met in New York. She loves art galleries. For years, her mother has taken her to the Brisbane to the National Gallery in Brisbane, which is a wonderful gallery, and they've looked at works of art. And the pictures are often highly damaged and very disturbing of things, stories her mother has told her or things that she has imagined. Um, it becomes apparent very early in the book, and the reason I'm not naming her is because she doesn't have a name and she doesn't know her name, and her mother's too frightened to tell her her name for some reason. Something has happened in their past that has led to this life they have, have led. And it's not what you think. You learn very early on that the girl's mother, who she adores, who was the um, victim of an abusive marriage, you learn early on that the mother is not what she seems. And the mother-daughter relationship is not what it seems. It is a love story. Like Boy Swallows Universe, it sort of not degenerates, but it moves into a thriller in the last few chapters and becomes a, you can see it again being a series or a movie. And Lola is this woman who appears in the mirror to the heroine every time she needs advice from someone. And sometimes Lola is in a, Lola's like a Hollywood actress and she's in a beautiful red dress, but sometimes she's scarred and bleeding. Sometimes she's badly damaged um, she always has very, very strong advice. Again, there's a drug lord in the book. This time, another woman, Lady Flo, who runs a seafood empire. She is an evil piece of work, as is her son. Uh, the, as I said, there's a love story. There's a, a wealthy kid who um, the heroine befriends, who lives in um, a beautiful suburb. There is a, a wonderful homeless friend who is an alcoholic who um, his fortunes are fascinating as well. Corey, you just can't put this book down. I, I understand that people say he's got a bit flowery in his prose, that there's a few cliches, that he's become someone even, I think the Guardian Review used the word nauseous. I just don't agree. I think it's a ma oh, not a masterpiece, but just a great read. And I loved it. It has had, uh, it has had reviews that are quite the opposite of the spectrum. It's quite amazing. Caro, as you know, I didn't read Boy Swallows Universe, but loved the the new Netflix series. And what struck me about that was the um, the really strong cast of characters. And I wonder whether Trent Dalton draws on his many years as a journalist and a feature writer and interviewing so many people, meeting so many different people, and particularly the book Love Stories, which he wrote a couple of years ago, which I did read and I did interview him about, where he met all of these extraordinary people sitting out, yep. it's a true story, sitting outside or sitting on the corner of a busy Brisbane intersection in the CBD of Brisbane. That comes up in Lola in the Mirror. Yes, yeah, so they, interesting. They talk about 
a, a character who is interviewing homeless, uh, interviewing people. About their life. So, so I think he's just had such uh, experience with people from vast backgrounds, enormously diverse, complex and complicated, that he brings all of that storytelling to these books clearly. Um, I love a novel with a good kind of secondary cast. Well, it's, and the way he writes about addiction, and again, the the female character who is 17 at the start of the book, um, she ends up being a drug dealer for Lady Flo for a period of her life. The, the way they describe the people she's selling drugs to, they're just... I mean, he describes them with enormous sympathy. I mean, he he comes from a position of sympathy, Trent Dalton, to, you know, to the underclasses of Australia, really. So I would recommend it. I wouldn't believe everything you read of the negative reviews. Now, Corrie, you've been, you were raving about a doco you saw on Net, Netflix? Yeah, Netflix. This this has just come out. It's called The Greatest Night in Pop, and it premiered at Sundance, Sundance? Sundance? Um, film festival last month, and uh, as I said, now on Netflix, and uh, loved this. Just stumbled upon it on the weekend. It's the making of We Are the World, the charity single recorded by oh, 43, 44, 45 American singers. Um, if you recall, 1985, the song was released and it raised funds for Africa. It came hot on the um, coattails of Bob Geldof's um, Do We Know It's Christmas After All, which was a huge hit in the UK, saw a whole lot of uh, British song ma- masters and mistresses getting together, singing a Christmas song, made lots of money for um, Ethiopia and um, because the, it, there was a shocking, shocking drought at that particular time and a million people had died of hunger and Bob Geldof and a group of people got together and said, we need to do something. As Bob Geldof said later, it was a Christmas song. That was our first mistake because come, you know, come January 1st, nobody wanted to play it anymore. Anyway, the Americans were encouraged uh, a couple of weeks later to actually do their own thing. And musician and activist and wonderful human being, Harry Belafonte, thought perhaps we can do an American benefit single. We can release something. So he spoke to his mates, Michael Jackson and... Um, um, Lionel Richie, who were both at the top of their tree at that time. Michael Jackson had just released Thriller. Um, as we know, Lionel Richie was um, was just just you know all night long was a hit that the year before. It was, he was just on top of the charts, and that duo then contacted several musicians um, with um, Harry Belafonte and fundraiser Ken Cragen. And this documentary is the making of that recordings of, of that record and how it came about. Caro, the most amazing thing that happened was that Harry Belafonte and Ken Cragen realised that they had one chance to, to do this and that was the night of the American Music Awards in Los Angeles, which was on January the 21st. And we're talking like the first week of January, so they didn't have a lot of time. So Lionel Richie, who was interviewed actually in the studio in LA where they made this in 1985, and his reflections are super, and I think he's actually an executive producer of this doco. Um, he talks about um, going around to Michael Jackson's place and the musicality and the interesting ways in which they kind of came together with the, the music and the lyrics. I mean, Michael Jackson, you just listen to this story of Lionel Richie's and you realise how brilliant Michael Jackson was. But he's sitting, you know, Lionel's sitting there and says all of a sudden a, a whole pile of LPs fell over and there was... Uh, Michael Jackson's pet snake just weaving its way toward oh. Lionel Richie. I'm out of here. But it was really, it was, the, the interview with Lionel Richie is one of several people looking back. I mean, many of the major players, Michael Jackson, um, Harry Belafonte, of course, they've passed on. But um, Bob Dylan but was involved, wasn't he? Bob Dylan was involved. But I have to, I ha- you know, hats off to um, to the producer of this um of this documentary, whose name I'm trying to find as we speak. I'll get it in a second. But this is a really, really outstanding doco. Um, so so what happens is that they send, in the cover of night, send um, the music is recorded um, on little cassettes and the cassettes are sent around to 43 of these people who have all agreed, yes, we'll either be in LA for the music awards and we'll come along to the studio afterwards at midnight or like Bruce Springsteen, who was just finishing his Born in the USA tour. And this is Springsteen at the peak of his power. And he flies all the way from the East Coast across the country to LA just to be there. A, a number of people did that. They believed in this and they wanted to be a part of it. They knew history was in the making. 
Caro, it is star-studded. Stevie Wonder, Paul Simon, Kenny Rogers, Tina Turner, Billy Joel, Willie Nelson, Dionne Warwick, uh, Daryl Hall, uh, goes on and on. Huey Lewis, who, who at the last minute is given a solo because Prince doesn't turn up. <laughs> so... The producers are looking at each other going, okay, hey, Huey could actually... The artist formerly known as Prince. Prince. Um, um, In the chorus, not with solo parts, Bette Midler, um, the Pointer Sisters, Sheila E., who said for the first time ever, she's never admitted this, but said on camera when she was interviewed that she thought that she had been chosen and they'd said to her, we want you to do a solo bit because she'd been such a success at the um, AMA Awards that evening. You know, she had the drums the drummer and her the, the stage went dark and her little drumstick slit up, you know, forevermore, one of the great moments on television. But um, she realised afterwards that she had been used. They were using her to get to Prince because he was her great friend. And oh. Prince was actually on the phone to her saying, so how's it going? You know, should I come down? Which I imagine was a landline, which is just so peculiar. The whole night kicks off. The stars walk in and they're all a bit starstruck and a bit nervous. Bob Geldof comes in and talks to them and kind of lands the plane, explains why we're here, this is what we're doing, and away we go. There are so many interesting and funny and amazing moments. Al Jarreau was drunk, could hardly get his lines out. Waylon Jennings bailed when Stevie Wonder said, maybe we should sing part of this song in Swahili as a nod to the Africans. And then it was pointed out that Ethiopians, which is where the famine was, they don't actually speak Swahili. Paul Simon, <laughs> Paul Simon looks around and says at one stage, if a bomb lands on this place, John Denver is back on top. <laughs> um, it's just, it is really funny. And another, another, uh, another moment, I can't remember whether it was Paul Simon or someone else, but um, Ray Charles walks in the room and um, someone says, Ray Charles is here. My God, this is like the Statue of Liberty walking in. You know, it's just, it, and Diana Ross, the, la- the last moments, uh, there are four of them leaving, Belafonte, Diana Ross and a couple of the sound people. And Diana Ross, they interviewed one of the sound people um, who was there and he said, I can just remember Diana Ross crying. And I thought, oh, you know, it's been a long night. It's now eight in the morning. We've been recording for six hours. She's overwrought. And she just, she was like that girl at the school reunion. She doesn't want it to end. And she just cried and said, this has just been the most wonderful night of my life. So it, it's a really, really good. It's a documentary about Nyung is the, is the brilliant, brilliant director of this. Um, he as I said, worked closely with Lionel Richie on this project. Huey Lewis is interviewed. He is hilarious. When they say, you know, we want you to fill in for Prince, he goes, oh, my God, they're such big shoes. Like, I don't think I can do it. He said his legs were literally shaking. It's just great. It's full of energy. And I watched it with uh, Coco and Charlie. So they were both born in the 90s. No idea about this. They'd heard the song, but no idea. They found it utterly fascinating. I can't wait to see so it's it. Real, it's a really As good one to watch someone who was in London, Hyde, you know, Hyde, Hyde Park, when Live Aid was on, just a little bit later. What an amazing time it was for musicians getting together. It was, and, and you think about all the top acts. I mean, even in Australia, Carol, and you were away in 1985, but at the Sydney Entertainment Centre, we had our own version called Oz for Africa. And, um, I mean, I just looked at the lineup because I could remember that. I remember In Excess coming on and they just exploded because that was just the start of their kind of moment. Mental as anything, Men at Work, Australian Crawl, Goanna, Do Me, our friend Deb Conway, The Angels. Yeah, like it was just such a turnout and everybody was doing it for to raise money for um, the starving people of Africa. So that is my um, my big tip. I think it's a ripper. Uh, the Greatest Night in Pop, and it's on Netflix. Okay, well, you're on a roll, Corrie. You are going to tell us now, thanks to Cobram Estate, which is, as I mentioned, that beautiful premium Australian extra virgin olive, extra virgin olive oil, a great friend of Don't Shoot the Messenger, Lou's Salad. Yes. Who is Lou and what is her salad? <laughs> Lou is a friend of my daughter, Francesca. Lou lives in Ballarat, and I understand Lou or Lou's mum listens. She's a keen potty, so... Hello, Lou's mum. You've got a very clever daughter. This salad uh, is on repeat in all of our houses and um, well done to you guys. Now, I have absolutely zero quantities here for this, but it's... it's um, Well, I'll, that's I'll, a salad for you. You I'll throw it together. You, I'll kind of tell you what I made. This was for Pete and myself last week and we had some left over for lunch the next day. Uh, a bunch of mint, a bunch of parsley. 
some shaved raw broccoli. I just had a few flowerets, so we just sort of shaved them. And um, spinach leaves, I had half a bag of spinach, popped them in. Pumpkin seeds, goji seeds, pistachio nuts chopped, um, juice of lime, juice of lemon, one avocado, goat's cheese, a couple of pieces there, um, chopped up spring onions. I think I chopped up maybe three or four, salt and pepper. And even though Checker said, you don't really need any oil with this, I did reach from a Mr. Cobram. I, I didn't want to put in any lime, any more lime and lemon juice. I just thought I had the perfect tang, but it just needed a little bit more yeah, moisture. Yeah, sounds like, sounds delicious. And I didn't want to put in, you know how people sometimes put in the oil from the goat's cheese, if you get Meredith goat's cheese. Yep. So I just right into the cupboard, grab my Mr. Cobram, put a little, you know, bit in until it was a beautiful mixture. Caro, this recipe is fresh, delicious. I wouldn't say, I mean, the mint kind of gives it a sense of Vietnamese salad, but not really. Um, it, we had it with chicken on the barbecue. It was delicious. You could have it with fish. It would be delicious. Uh, you could have it as a kind of a salsa. Do you chop the herbs very? Yeah, chop it all really finely. And but, do you or, or sprinkle not, the feta do. goat's cheese over the top? Uh, no, well, you could if you're doing presentation. I just I just whizzed it all in, all through, which gave it a kind of a nice creamy thing. But it would probably, in terms of presentation, that would be nicer. I think you could probably actually dress Sounds it up. absolutely delicious. You could have the cheese and you, you could then actually put the goji seeds, which that lovely red, that could be rather lovely too. Anyway, um, that's it. So that's Lou's salad. And thank you, Lou, for giving us that. Now, the, thank you, the, new, seg- the new segment that my colleague, Caroline Wilson, can't seem to remember the name of, did you see that? Did you I, see that, Caro? I did see that, and I saw it last week, Corinne. I was going to talk about it last week, but we recorded the podcast the day after the event, and I'm a bit annoyed because it was actually mentioned on Media Watch this week also. Corrie, Ashley Gardner, one of the great greatest all-rounder cricketers in the world, last week won the Belinda Clark Medal, the Belinda Clark Award, at the Allen Border Medal Night. I don't know if you know Ashley Gardner's work, but she is, as I said, one of the most brilliant all-rounders. She's had an clearly an absolutely cracker season. She won the award ahead of the great Elise Perry and the great um, rising star of cricket, Annabelle Sutherland. So um, she won the award it, as a complete irrelevance, but she did look absolutely beautiful in a white dress when she got up to the, accept the award. The next day... In all the newspapers, front page was Mitch Marsh and his brilliant speech. Front page was Usman Khawaja with his beautiful partner. Front page was another Australian cricketer and his wife and their little girl who they brought to the presentation. Front page was Steve Smith and his partner. All these cricketers who didn't win any awards, except for Mitch Marsh, who won the Allen Border Medal and made a very a great, a memorable speech about... You know, I might be a bit fat and I might like a beer, but, you know, I've, he sort of, it was a, a great comeback story, Mitch Marsh. Belinda, the Belinda Clark medalist, award winner, Ashley Gardner, she was like 10 pages in. Oh, and you're surprised? Australian women's cricket has become, I mean, I know, our, our I know. Cricketers, I'm completely with you. I think it's absolutely appalling. I don't really understand what went on. I thought that was really, really disappointing. And as an adjunct, did you see this? Did you see on Sunday? Did you see this or did you see that? This. Come on. It's actually, the, we agreed to this. Did we? I've got the original This text. or that. <laughs> did you see on Sunday when they said that it was going to be 38 degrees in Melbourne, everybody went Hysterical. I mean, normally in February we get a week of thirty. We're all plus. a bit. We're all a bit shocked. But Brendan was putting down the shutters, and I mean, fair enough. He was, you know, getting the house cooled down. People were ringing up saying, "I'm coming over. We're going to the beach. I can't stay in Melbourne." Um, people were ringing up saying, "How are you going to cope? Isn't it dreadful for the golfers?" You're going. This is just. This is ridiculous. Never and actually, s- down the beach. I was down the beach from three o'clock till seven. It was so beautiful, and um, we were uh, we. It was it was only about twenty four, twenty five degrees, I reckon, where we were. It wasn't that hot. No, it didn't get that hot actually. No. And the next morning it was raining again. Everybody so, was overreacting. And then it rained, and everyone thought, "Oh, I wish I'd you know enjoyed it a bit but more." But just back to your Ashley comment, that just happens so often that the women are overlooked. I'm well, I'm I'm just I'm so over it. I'm so I mean, over it's it. not like. Someone, one of the pay, pay, the Adelaide Advertiser or the Courier Mail or the Herald Sun or the Age 
It's not like you think someone could have put Ashley Gardner on the front page or, in fact, the back page. Anyway, they didn't. Corrie, it is now time for six quick questions thanks to Red Energy. I'm going to ask you about the Grammys that were on the other night. What was your favourite Grammys outfit? Well... Look, Carol, you know that when the Brownlow's on, I have a, a real aversion to the split dress, mainly because I think the wrong people with the wrong legs are probably wearing this split a bit too high. A lot of split dresses around lately. Well, I tell you what, this one that Tyler wore, so Tyler is a South American musician, for those who don't know, I just adore her. Um, this, I'm just showing you here. Now, this dress is a very pale mint green. Off the shoulder? Off the shoulder. It has a kind of a Roman sort Off the of stomach, look. in fact. <laughs> Off the everything. But it's 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 not only sort of the draped, it looks like jersey. or maybe, No, actually it's chiffon. Um, but the other part of it is it like a diamante sheath, except that it has, um, it, it's cut on the cross and it has an exposed side midriff. I, and her shoes, which are a little bit Roman sandal inspired, except they have high heels, but they're Diamante and her earrings. But look at her hair. Like, that to me is just the most perfect look for her body. And what a wow factor that has. So if you haven't seen it, everybody, jump on instyle.com. Well, that's what that's always my great source for looking at people's clothes. That's Tyler, not Taylor. T-Y-L-A. T-Y-L-A. Just type that in and you will see this. Tyler Taylor. How do I pronounce it? I guess no, Tyler. No, Tyler, but I'm saying don't think it's yeah, don't Taylor, put Taylor. Yeah. Taylor Swift. Yeah. No, that's correct. Oh, she also looked very nice in black and white, quite classic. But, um, yeah, have a little look at that. Caro, um, what, how, speaking of the Grammys, how do you explain Kylie's enduring star power? Kylie, who doesn't need a surname either and who won her second Grammy for, um, I think it was Best Pop Dance Number or something like I that. I didn't know she'd won a first Oh, she won one quite a few what, years for ago now. Not locomotion. No, it was it, well, I should know, but she, she won one at least um, more than a decade ago. Kylie Minogue has never, when you think about it, has she ever really put a foot wrong? No. I mean, she has remained the girl next next door, even though she's now in her fifties. She's clearly still absolutely gorgeous, still at the peak of her powers performance wise. She's a brilliant performer. She's. She's had the occasional controversy, I guess. Maybe and she went out with Michael Hutchins and had chopped her hair off. That was weird. Or she wore a wig. Was it a wig or she chopped her hair? Extensions. I mean, it was really short with Michael, Michael Hutchins. I mean, exa- she sends herself up and she's been in some great Aussie films. She obviously came back for the Neighbours reunion. She um, Good stick. But, I mean, and, you know, she she's had a lot of relationships, um, never had children, continues to come to Australia to be really close to her family, is an absolute star in the UK, is an absolute star in the US. I I can't think of her ever having done anything really wrong. And um, I don't know, which I don't think I've ever met her, but I'm just... I think I'm a bit of a fan late in life. There of the you old go. Kylie. There you go. Now, we're, uh, the Grammys again, what was your favourite moment? Oh, Joni Mitchell. Joni, Joni Mitchell coming on. Her, Didn't her, see this. Oh, Caro, I've you know YouTubed it. Babe. I know you've got. To, you have to YouTube it. Canadian folk singer, legend. Let's say legend. Joni Mitchell was brought onto the stage by uh, because she had a stroke from memory a couple of years ago. Fifty years, Caro, after winning her first Grammy, she won another one for best folk album um, because they recorded. They had a live folk concert a few months ago, and they recorded from that album, and it won the best folk album. But she sang both sides now. Oh, it was heaven. What I'll have and to she have was a look. St- standing ovation. You would have been in tears. You would oh, I have it. to have a look. Carol, speaking of, um, <laughs> as we were earlier with Miles, um, romance and some Valentine's Day, what are you and Brendan doing for the first time this weekend? Oh, well, no, okay, speaking, it's a family show. Speaking of music. It's a family show. No, speaking of music, together, I've been before, but together for the first time, we're going to the Opera House. Which in Sydney. Oh, Sydney. Oh, good. Which Ballet. One? Concert, no, no, music, music. We're going to see Paul Weller perform on oh, Friday night. He's doing a show, I think, with a big orchestra, formerly of the Jam, but formerly for us, one of our favourite bands ever, and certainly during that time in the UK, Style Council. Um, so I don't, I don't, I think Brendan has been to the Opera House and his favourite ever recording, I think, and he used to play it all the time to the kids, was Paul Robeson singing Old Man River to the workers outside the Opera House. But I'm, and I've been to the ballet there. I've seen Deb perform there. I've seen um, 
comedy shows there. But you're going together. We're going together to the Opera House. Corrie, what was, what's your – oh, look, you, you just switch around every week on this, but I guess it's because you listen to a lot of them. What is your current favourite podcast? Well, Cara, there is a theme here because I'm picking up on music again. Joanna and the Maestro. Have you heard of it? No. Joanna Lumley has been married for 300 years to Stephen Barlow, her darling husband. (laughs) And Stephen Barlow is a very well-known conductor, composer and musician. And the two of them are passionate about classical music. But Joanna interviews Stephen, or they kind of talk about, like a lot of their past life or experiences come up as well, but she basically interviews him, asks him all the sorts of questions that those of us well, I think even probably classical music aficionados, but those of us who want to know more or learn more, Joanna asked the questions on our behalf. One episode, who was better, Mozart or Beethoven? Oh. What actually is a violin concerto? What do conductors actually do, says Joanna? You can imagine Stevie. She calls him Stevie. You can imagine Stevie's response. <laughs> and which note I'm not going to give this away. Which note could the maestro not live without? There's a beautiful interview with Stephen Fry on his connection to classical music. And just recently, Bradley Cooper and Kerry Mulligan joined Joanna and the Maestro. And they had a chat about the making of Maestro, which is the new film based on um, the legacy of Leonard Bernstein. Which you beautifully reviewed last week so, on our uh, first so episode for if, the year. Even if you're not a classical music buff, you're going to love this show because the just the joyful banter and what you learn from the two of them is really extraordinary. So that's Joanna and the Maestro. And um, Carol, Brilliant. I to, look forward to, to it. To really change pace now, what new football program decision is long overdue? Oh, well, the AFL season is upon us, Corey. The season's starting um, a week earlier again this year. Not only do we have an extra round from last year with Gather Round in South Australia, but the season is starting in New South Wales and Queensland for the first time with four extra games. And then there's buys and it's confusing. But anyway, that's over the long weekend, the Labor Day week, our Labor Day weekend, although New South Wales has a different one. But finally, Channel 7, who are the free-to-air broadcast rights holder of football and have been for the best part of 50 years, um, are finally, longer, 60 years, have finally put in... They're putting back on Talking Footy, but they're scheduling it after the front bar on Wednesday nights. Now, you know, they haven't had a a, a football show for a few years, you know, except for football itself and pre-game shows. Channel 7 have not had a Talking Footy type show for several years. They they had the Sunday one um, for a while, but that went away um, during or after COVID. Um, They brought back talking finals for the finals last year, which was sort of like talking footy. The footballers involved were Trent Cotchin and Joel Selwood, former premiership captains. So, Caro, their old, um, their original talking footy used to be on Monday night and it was a reflection of what had happened that, yes. that week. So now you're you're saying Thursday night and they're going to be Wednesday looking, night. Oh, Wednesday night, looking forward. Yes, well, because there are a lot more Thursday night yes, games now. So the front bar Come will on, permanently Corey, get into on. 2024. No, fair enough. <laughs> the fr- it moves around a lot. The front bar will permanently be on Wednesday night. Now, I work for Footy Classified on Monday night and I think they're going to be, it's going to be hard to beat the Wednesday night Footy Classified, which is a great show hosted by Eddie Maguire and featuring Damien Barrett and Jimmy Bartell and Matthew Lloyd. But Finally, Channel 7 have been smart enough to go, well, why not? The front bar is a smash hit and everyone loves it. Why not put on a show after that to keep your audience? Mm. I mean, it just, and apparently the AFL have said to Channel 7 at times, look, why don't you support the code more? Yeah. And you, you, all the million, multi-millions and billions of dollars you're paying for footy and have at least one talk show about the game Good. itself. this change of foot. Mm. So anyway, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes and interesting to see how two very recently retired, obviously there are others on the show, um, and um, Mitch Cleary is one of them. He's a good newsbreaker. And I think James Brayshaw, I think he's hosting anyway, or maybe he's just on it. But finally, if these two very recently retired players are going to be able to actually have opinions because mm. not every ex-player is prepared to, you know, mm. break the player's but code. also not every ex-player is really interesting to listen to, just saying. Even hey, if they're champions. <laughs> hey, even if they're champions. Um, Caro, now is a nice time to sort of plug Footy Classified, which is coming up into its 
16th year, would that be? No, 15th I think, year? No, I think we started in 2017, so I think it's actually its 17th year. Not 2017, two, 2007. 2007. <laughs> where, did the, where did that decade go? Yeah, mm. I think it's our, it's our 17th year. Yeah, that's Hutchie and I um, were there at the beginning. I know. I had to review it for the Australian, which was a difficult still, task. Still um, there. That's, that's fantastic. And you're fronting up again. I am. Um, With Caro's Arrow. I am, and and you know, hopefully, lots of breaking news as Good always. On you. Can't wait. So Jane when do you, when do you start? Lloyd, um, the that public holiday Monday of later <coughs> day. Oh, so um, oh, yes. your footy season starting earlier every year. Well, I, it, it all it, it usually does start on that day actually, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's Monday the eleventh of March. Great, we'll be. There. I always think of. I mean, um, I won't be because I'm asleep. No, I will be. I'm going to. I'm going to change my life and try and stay awake. I always think of March, your birthday and my godson Will's birthday, which is all around that time. Obviously, he's the 10th, isn't he? So he's the mm. day before. But yes, so Footy Classified Monday, March 11. And of course, our podcast 300th birthday at Bell's Hotel on February the 29th. That's right. Can I just say thank you to our stand-in producer, Jordan, today, who's been so wonderful? Um, because Joel, our new producer, was with us one week and had to leave, had, just fled the country. He was in such shock. <laughs> Fled for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Super Bowl, Schmooper Bowl. Anyway, Corey. Thanks, we... Jordan, for having us, looking after us today. Thank you also to Red Energy. Moving is hard, but switching your electricity and gas is easy with Red Energy. Um, and remember, you can listen to us on SEN Talk. Listen to Don't Shoot the Messenger on the SEN app and push the talk button on the top right of the screen and leave a message. It can be a comment, a question, anything. And Corey. Thank you. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to Don't Shoot the Messenger with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. We love hearing from you, so join us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter at Don't Shoot Pod or email us at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And if you'd like to support the show, the best way is to tell a friend to listen. Your word of mouth recommendations are really appreciated. And of course, please support our partners who make the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast possible. Red Energy. Moving home? Trust Red Energy to power what matters most. Copper Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold pressed in Northern Victoria. And Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world. PrinceWineStore.com.au